Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we this morning? It's good to have you guys with us today. A little different format. Um, you know, one song, and then we take a seat. We're going to sing some more later. But today is a special day. We do it a little differently. It's Baptism Sunday here at Thrive Church. And we do this several times a year. We do water baptisms, and we also make it a celebration. We make it a party because the Bible says that heaven rejoices when one person turns their life over to Christ. And all of heaven's having a party when we do this, so we should have one too. And so we actually have free donuts for you today. Today is National Free Donuts. We just made our own holiday up. That's what we do at Thrive. We'll just make a holiday up if there's not one. So it's National Free Donut Sunday. Got amazing donuts, and you to a couple of areas you can get those from. Um, and also, if you've joined us, we're in a series we started last week called Chasing Carrots. And so what we're going to be discussing uh, last week and the next several weeks is this, the things in life that we chase that we think will fulfill us, but they don't end up fulfilling us. Uh, yesterday was fame, and I had to convince you that all of us had this craving for attention or fame. And today may be a little harder, because today's carrot we're going to talk about is called possessions. And you may say, oh, no, no, I'm way beyond this. But I believe by the end of the day's message, you'll get to see how so many times we're trapped by possessions and materialism. You know, uh, Charles Lindbergh was the first man ever to fly the transatlantic solo. In 1927, he did this and became an instant hero. And when he was interviewed, he, took, he said he took five sandwiches with him in one container of water. And the interviewer asked, why only five sandwiches in one container of water? And Lindbergh said this. He said, if I make it to Paris, I only need five sandwiches to get there. If I don't make it to Paris, I'll not only need but five sandwiches. Which shows us a principle of life. So many times in life, we're not content with what we have that we feel like we need just a little more. And we're in a, in a culture today where we're bombarded with advertising, we're bombarded with the next and the new, and it's almost like we're always, you, you can open up your social media feed, right, and they can read your mind, y'all, don't they? Like you, I, you talk to your friend and your spouse, and then the, the next thing you know, it's in your news feed. And you're like, how in the world did this get in there? Well, I'll tell you how it got in there. They're reading your mind. No, I'm joking. Uh, but we're just consumed with this, that possessions and things is what will actually fill us. As a matter of fact, this isn't new to us in America in this culture, but they were chasing the same carrots back in the first century. And Jesus spoke to the Jewish religious leaders, and he spoke to the Jewish people of that day about this very thing in Luke 12. He was on this tangent about, uh, you know, the Jewish leaders with their hypocrisy. They were, you know, really, they, they were excited about the fame they would get from their prayers. And they were excited about, you know, kind of showing off. But they also believed in the first century. And this is so critically important to understand the times. In the first century, Romans believed, the Greeks believed, that if you had stuff, uh, an abundance of possessions... They believed the gods had blessed you. And if you were poor, they believed you were cursed. Matter of fact, Jews believed that if you had a bunch of things and were blessed with material things, you were actually blessed by God. And if you didn't have things, you were cursed. And so they were all using the same scorecard that we use today. And so here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, speaking to that culture then Jesus said to them, watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He could have said be on guard of the devil and be on guard of this or that, but he said greed. And this was first century Rome, first century Jerusalem. He says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And I want you to understand today that so many times we judge each other and we judge success based on stuff, possessions, who has the most toys in life. Now, today, what I'm not going to say to you is this, and I want you to get your notes handy. This is really critically important about what Jesus was saying. It's not wrong to own possessions, right? It's okay to have possessions. It's not okay when possessions have us. It's okay to have possessions, and you'll find out later that God actually gives those to us, and it's a, it's a blessing, but it is wrong when possessions actually have us. Matter of fact, in 2020, during the pandemic, statistics show us that consumer debt, credit card debt, you know, car debt, rose by 4.7%. Y'all women were really doing some shopping. I'm joking. It's all obvious. I'm just playing. But our debt, consumer debt in America is up to $4 trillion. Matter of fact, one in 10 Americans have at least a $5,000 or average of $5,000 in credit that they're trying to pay off. The average household in America gives 10% of their income back to consumer debt, credit cards, things of that nature. And see, this is why this is important because in Scripture it says that the borrower is slave to the lender. So you actually become a slave when you let Buying things with money you don't have to impress people that don't really matter rule your life. And so many times we end up in our culture not just having possessions, but possessions end up having us. And here's how you know that. The first thing is this. You know when possessions have you when we need them to make us happy. That you buy into the lie that, you know what, if I just had this, I would be happy. And yes, you, you'll be happy for a moment, right? The new car smell when you get that new car, and you're, you're cool with paying all those payments on it. Like, that's probably my pet peeve here over and over again. I do not like, I've not had a car payment now in 14 years, and I refuse to have one. I don't care what the GPS can do. I don't care if it can talk to me. I just need it to drive. It's, does, does the brake work? Does air conditioning work? Does the pedal? Okay, good. Yeah, does the radio work? I just need a radio. I don't even need a, like a, you know, a Bluetooth. But when we believe that, and see, you know, for me, it hit me whenever I was young. I was in a band, and I was, like I said last week, I was kind of craving for, for attention and fame. But also something else happened. Possessions began to own me. I believed that I needed to keep up with the Joneses that were the other bands. So one day I decided that the van that we had that was paid off wasn't good enough. So I went down with my dad, you know, to the Dodge place, and I bought a big white Dodge van to carry all of our equipment and all five band members in. They could, we could just load it in the back and travel the country. And I just signed gladly on that dotted line. It was a great deal, right? You're, you're, it's always a great deal when you buy it for the first, the first payment, right? It's a great deal. I'll never forget about four years later, three years later, when I was halfway into the payments of a six-year note, 
And I worked for a concrete company. Uh, I go to the bank, I deposit my check, and the slip comes back. That's for direct deposit. You remember that? And it said negative $171 after I deposited my check. And I cried and I beat the dashboard. I felt so defeated because I had something I could not even afford that I didn't really need. And I realized at that point how much I hated being a slave to the lender because I thought that would make me happy. I thought if we got this van, then I would be able to catch up with the Joneses. That's what I thought in life, right? And so later on down the road, I ended up going into you know, ministry, and I got called to that, and I met this wonderful young woman named Deanna, who's now my wife. And can I tell you what's not cool? It's not cool when you're 23 years old and you're driving a big white van as a single guy. It's like, you know, like, you go to pick her up on a date and she thinks she's getting, like, mugged and robbed and, and stolen. You know, it's like, I'm not getting in that van. I've seen this movie on Lifetime Network before. I'm not getting in that. <laughs> and I realized that I was buying stuff to think it would make me happy, that when I get this, then I will actually be happy. It, it's kind of like men and women Women will nickel and dime it to death. Though Amazon package you to death, every day it's like the, the death by a thousand paper cuts, right? Packages are just at the door every day. Men, do you ever deal with that in here? Right, I do. Always. And she's texting me, did the package come? Like, what package? How many packages do you get? But men are a little different, though. Here's what men do. Men show up at the house one day with a big dually with a camper. Hey, honey, look what I got. The big, men go big or go home. I just bought this brand new dually, and I bought a camper. And she's like, Johnny, I no, no you didn't. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Don't you love it? They, they, they come home, they're like, the wife gets home, and there's this huge 200-inch screen TV. And he's like, baby, look at this thing. I got a deal. I said, this, this TV will talk to you. This TV will change the channels for you. These people look like they're stepping out. It's like 4D, baby. That's what they told me. It's 5, 000, only $5,000. That's, that's what men do. But we're always, again, we believe we need the next thing to make us happy. And that's when you know possessions own you. Uh, the next way you know that possessions own you is this, when we believe that what we don't have is better than what we do have. And that's the whole ploy of advertising. They want to show you how outdated your phone is, how outdated your car is, how outdated whatever that thing is that you have. You're, you know, that they want you to think, man, what I don't have is, that's what I need. And that, that, that goes into our, our life, even like marriages. You'll start, that's how affairs happen. Somebody's looking across, you know, the grass that is greener on the other side, and you're thinking, man, if I, you know what, the spouse that I don't have, that spouse over there is better than what I do have. And what people end up doing, when you have that mindset in life, you make really bad decisions all the time because you're only trading off your problems. You never deal with them. Matter of fact, there was a historical story of a man named Ali Hafid, and Ali Hafid owned this amazing farm. It's beautiful, orchids and and just type of, you know, just all types of like beautiful gardens and waters and brooks and streams and animals. And he was so happy and he was so wealthy. And one day a traveler came through Tafid's house and he sat with him at dinner and he told him all about across the world right now, people are mining for diamonds and they're becoming wealthy and all their dreams are being realized. And Hafid after that, 
sold his farm, everything he had, and began the search of a lifetime to go find diamonds. He traveled the world, and eventually he became uh, disillusioned. He became discouraged and defeated. And he ended up committing suicide. That's not the most probably ironic part of the story. The ironic part of the story is this. The man who bought the farm was feeding his camels one day down at the brook. And what he saw down in the water was a really bright, shiny jewel. Held it in the, in the light, and the colors of the rainbow came through it. And it was a diamond. Not only that, but it was the, one of the biggest diamond mines in history, the Golgonda Diamond Mines. See, Hafid bought into the lie that what he didn't have was better than what he did have. And that's what possessions do to us when they own us. They end up convincing us of that, and we make really bad decisions. The next way you know that is this. When we trust in our riches more than trusting in God. When we trust the things that we have in life. When that is our emotional stability. When that is our rock and our core. When the things that we see are what feed us in life. And we end up trusting them. And here's how you can tell if that's you or not. It's whenever you worry. Worry is the revealer of this. When you start worrying about something, the enemy wants to plant in your mind that if you just had the thing that you were worrying about, then you'd be secure. And so anxiety kicks in, and if you're like me, you start doing proactive planning. You start planning step one, step two, step three. And planning is fine. The Bible teaches you to plan all throughout. It never condemns planning, but it does condemn worrying. And I would worry my plans, right? Because I would trust my ability to plan more than I trusted the provision of God in my life. And so riches are anything that you trust in to fix the problem other than God. And here's what God will do. God will put you in situations, if you're a follower of Jesus, where your riches cannot solve the problem, whatever that is for you. Again, riches are the thing that you find your source from. And it should be Christ. That should be the answer. Of course, in church, you can't go wrong with saying Jesus, can you? (laughs) So here's what we have to do. And here's the steps that we have to take. Use your wealth for God's purposes instead of, instead of letting your wealth use you. Use your wealth for God's purposes instead of letting your wealth use you. See, this idea of materialism is not just out in the world. It's in the church as well. It's something that's gripping the church. And as I said last week about fame and attention, it grips pastors. There was a, a church that had a pastor to resign recently, a very large church, that everybody was going after. Celebrities were showing up by the droves of this church, and they had VIP area marked out for all these really rich celebrities. The pastor had $1,000 sneakers. $1,000 sneakers, I'm serious. And here's the thing, eventually, he was caught with multiple affairs and had to be removed as a pastor. Here's the scariest part about where we're at in American culture with church today. How many parishioners actually care about the amount of debt that a church is going into? I don't think most, ever, most of them ever ask. I've only had one time in my nine years here at Thrive Church somebody ask me, how much debt are you in? How much debt are you going into to get that? And I'm going to tell you at Thrive Church, we still have the same mortgage that we had when I got here. We have no other debt. 
Because here's what I've realized. I can be just as drawn to materialism in the church as you are in the world. I can want to keep up with the church down the street that has all the, I mean, millions of dollars they put in production and lighting and all the bells and whistles, and we could always try to have more. I could go today and get, you know, get a million dollars in credit. We could do it. But I don't want to be a slave to the lender and end up letting possessions own me. If I can't buy it with cash, then why not do it? doesn't make any sense. Because if I can't model this for you, then how do I expect you to live it out in your world? So here's what we have to do, whether it's a person, whether it's an organization, a church. End up, use your wealth for God's purposes. Don't let your wealth end up using you. Leverage it for the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, Paul was speaking to one of his young leaders named Timothy. And Timothy pastored a very large church. It's in the city of Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey today. A very influential church. And Timothy was a young pastor. Ephesus had people that were very affluent as well. And here's what he writes to them in 1 Timothy 6. He says this in 1 Timothy 6, 18. Tell them to use their money to do good. What is Paul doing? Paul is telling Timothy what to preach. He writes a letter to him and says, you need to preach this to these people. This is sermon notes from 2,000 years ago. So number one, he says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Look what he tells them to do here. Tell them to use their money to do good. That's the first thing. As a follower of Jesus, every year when you get your tax returns, you look at all the, the stuff you spent, do you ever survey to see how much good your money did? I'm not talking about your investments in your 401ks and Roth IRA. I'm talking about, do you ever survey to see, is your money doing good things? That's what my wife wanted to know. We want to know how many multiple things our money's doing, doing good with. He says, use their money to do good things. Here's the next principle he tells them. He says this, they should be rich in good works. So here's a double-edged sword, and here's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, number one, don't just let somebody who, you know, maybe is affluent write a check to it. They need to live it too. Because here's what happens in the church world. Imagine that you're driving along, and a police officer stops you for running a stop sign. And you say, oh, yeah, I ran the stop sign, but officer, watch this. Listen to me. No, 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 listen to this. I always obey the speed limit. Matter of fact, even when I ran the, ran the stop sign, I obeyed the speed limit. Can you let me go? Would, would, that, would that fly? No, it wouldn't. In the same way, what we do is you have people, and I've been at churches where people write checks of stuff, but they'll never serve, they'll never be a part of it. And then you have people who serve, but never give anything financially to the kingdom. And both of them are excusing their disobedience by another area of obedience, and that doesn't work in the kingdom. So Paul is cutting them off at the knees. He's saying, use your money to do good. And then he says this, be rich in good works, rich in good works, Here's the next thing he says to them. He says, and be generous to those who are in need. So when you look at like, your money in life, this is what Paul was telling you know, Timothy to preach. Don't get mad at me, get mad at Paul. Like, like write Paul an email and tell him you're so, you're so upset that you know, he, he dealt with this. 
do you give to those in need also? One of the things we're teaching uh, our son at six years old, and I posted this on social media the other day, was that, number one, I'm teaching him that he's going to make money. He wanted to get a robot from Target. He's fighting robots. I said, you don't, you don't have the money for it. I said, you owe me money. I said, you're going to stain the fence. I hate staining the fence. I said, I don't care. I said, nobody gives you anything in this life, son. You got to work for it, and you got to earn it. So number one, he's learning that if he wants money, he has to work for it. Daddy doesn't give him anything at six years old. You're harsh. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. You have way too many young people who are, who are so spoiled, and you wonder why their attitudes are bad. They've never been taught the value of hard work. Number two, here's what I teach my son, too. We teach him to give the first 10% to his God jar. If he wants to give more, he can do more. So he gives the first 10% of everything he makes to the God jar. And then number three, here's the thing I'm really, really, really nailing home. It's hitting home for him. Be generous to those who are in need. Every time we drive through the city and there's people at the corner, I don't know why they're there. I don't know how much money they're making. I don't know all that. But here's what I do know. Nobody in high school said that's what I want to do the rest of my life is stand at the corner and beg for money, right? And, we, and my son would, would ask, why are they there? And we say, son, because they don't have what we have. And we're going to take money, and every time we come to one of these people, we're going to give them money to be generous to those in need. So now my son gives me money to put in his God jar. He says, but can we save some to give to the homeless man at the corner too? He's six years old. See, th- that's what believers should be doing, right? To be rich in good works, to be generous, to be share with those who are in need. And then here's what else Paul says. He says here, and be ready to share with others. The reason this is important, guys, it's not just for you that I'm saying this. This is the model we use at Thrive Church. We do this for other churches. We're extremely generous to other churches that are considered our competition. They're in the same community. It's not like we're giving to somebody in California, which I don't mind doing that. But I believe that God has blessed this church greatly to use our wealth for God's purposes, not let our wealth use us. Because we can become so consumed about the brand of Thrive Church that we forget. And you can be so consumed about the brand of yourself and what you want that you forget to use your wealth for God's purposes. Some of you don't know this, but during the pandemic, when it first hit, we reached out to pastors. And if they were honest to us, I could tell because I'd reach out. Pastors are really good at lying. I don't know if you know that or not, right? Like, everything's great. Our church is the greatest thing ever, right? And they're really struggling. And I asked one guy, how you doing? He said, my marriage is falling apart. He said, and our church is really struggling. As a matter of fact, I can't take a salary and blah, blah. And so we paid his salary for a month. Thrive Church wrote a check out and sent them that. Other churches, we have given money to them during the pandemic to help them reach people. We've given cameras away. Here's why we do this. You have to realize this, and this is the reason why we are rich in God's eyes. Now, I'm talking about you, too. You are rich. Go to a third world country. When you go there, and they're literally, they want the, the sweaty baseball cap you have. They want anything that, that, that you can give them because they don't have those things. And you think, man, I'm not, we, we don't know we're rich because we keep looking at the rich and famous here in America. We are wealthy. And friends, can I tell you, Thrive Church is wealthy. No, we don't have the nicest building. I have friends who have much nicer churches, much greater debt, but not much nicer churches, much better facilities. But it doesn't matter about that. We are wealthy. We are blessed. 
And so because of that, that's why we use these principles for the kingdom of God to move it forward. I'm never going to let my wealth use me. I'm going to use my wealth for the purposes of God. So, so, so here are two thoughts I want to leave you with today. Two thoughts about using your wealth for the purposes of God. And here's the first one. Possessions don't create joy. But God allows us to enjoy them as a gift. Possessions don't create joy. Look at the people who kill themselves who are celebrities who die of overdoses. They have everything. It's not the possessions that create joy. But realize this. I'm not preaching against possessions today. You don't need to go out on eBay or, or, or do a yard sale and get rid of everything you have because of this message. Don't be ashamed of what you have in life. But here's what I am saying, that God gives that to you to, first of all, if you have stuff, enjoy it as a gift from God. Like, like I love what, what Paul writes here, and it's, it's I mean, excuse me, what, what Solomon writes here. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions, first of all, you got to realize God has given that to you. When God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. To enjoy the good things that he has given you. Have you paused yet during this spring that we've had instead of complaining about pollen or complaining about cold in the mornings? Have you paused yet and said, God, thank you so much for this beautiful, warm sunshine, for this weather that you've given me to enjoy as a gift? Have you sat in your house recently and said, God, thank you for this wonderful gift that you've given me? When's the last time you've done that? Because God's given that to you to enjoy as a gift. See, the enemy of your souls, what he wants to do, he wants you to never enjoy the things God's given you. Here's what Paul did write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says this. He said, command those who are rich. Command. That's a pretty strong word, right? Like in our culture, we don't want anybody commanding us to do anything. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. So don't look down on others about what you do have. Nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, and I love this, pay attention to this, who richly provides us everything, right? He provides what? Us with everything for our enjoyment. It's not wrong to have possessions, y'all. It's wrong when possessions have you. And you know when possessions have you because you can't enjoy it because you're always looking for what you don't have. See, God does want to bless people. And the sad thing is this, whenever somebody sees the blessing of God on your life and maybe sees something that you have, and they'll co comment on it or compliment you on it, there's three responses you have. The first one is a self-made millionaire response. Well, you know, I worked really hard for this, and my whole life I started at 20 years old, and look what I've done, and, you know, I've just done all this stuff here. That's the self-made millionaire response, right? Look what I've done, yeah, you know. The second response is my compliments to you about what you have is a poverty shame response. Yeah, you know, well, and you try to explain your way out of it. Well, you know, I got this house, but, you know, I got this windfall from, from you know, inheritance. And that's how I got it. And, you know, it's really a great deal. And it does, does I, mean, I don't know what it looks like. It costs a lot, but I got it at a really cheap deal. And, and you're, you feel ashamed about what you have. There's people who want to make you feel that way sometimes. But here's our response whenever somebody compliments you or you're talking about the blessings of God it's the gratitude response. Or you pause and say, 
Yeah, I'm just really grateful to God. God has been so very gracious to us. And it's my responsibility now to be gracious to his kingdom. Whenever somebody talks about Thrive Church and we started with 20 people nine years ago and didn't know if it even, this thing would even make it, that's my response to them. Well, you know, we put a lot of hard work in here at this church. You should, well, yeah, you know. Uh, man, I'm just really gracious, very thankful for what God has done. And here is what happens when you have that idea and when you begin to enjoy those as gifts from God. And here it is. Our response to God's gift is joyful generosity. That's your When God gives you a beautiful gift, it's to be joyful in your generosity back to God. To say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given me this beautiful house or this spouse or you know, mouse. I'm trying to rhyme here. It didn't work out right. A couch. But it's being grateful with, your, with joyful generosity. And here's what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And he says this. He says, you must each, that's every one of you, each one of you, decide in your heart how much to give. That's up to you. And don't give reluctantly. So Paul is saying, you know, to the church there, if you ever feel like I'm preaching to get your money, Paul said, just keep it. We're good. I'm sure you could go spend it at a restaurant. We're good. Then he says this, or in response to pressure. I've been in services I felt pressured to give. How about you? Amen. And Paul says, that's not what it's about. And then he gives you an insight into things that God values and this joyful response and generosity. He says, for God loves a person. Now, why would Paul say God loves a person? Doesn't God love everybody? Paul is making a point here. It's not that God loves people who give and doesn't love. God, it just excites the heart of God. And here's what he says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Why? Listen to me. Because that person understands that every gift they have is from God. And they're just excited to give back to God to say, God, thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for all that you've given to me. And I don't want you to miss verse 8 here. This is so important. So somebody who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk carefully here for a second. Do y'all love me? I know it's Baptism Sunday and we got donuts and stuff, but anytime in Scripture you see that God will provide all that you need, and, and Paul is sharing it many times, it's never to everybody. This is not a promise to everybody in this room or every believer. He's res- it's a promise for those who give cheerfully. Right? Right? Look, look at that verse. He, says, for, he said, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will prov- generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. This is beautiful. And plenty, this is it, left over to share with others. See, see, whenever God gives you those gifts in life, he's given you your job. He's given you your paycheck. He's given you your spouse. He's given you your family. He's given you breath in your lungs. The rightful response is worship with joyful generosity. And here's what God is saying. He says, if you'll take care of my kingdom, I'll take care of your castle. 
if you'll be generous to my kingdom, I'll be generous to you. Here's the question that I want to ask you. What if God was as generous to you as you are his kingdom? What would that look like? See, one of the marks of followers of Jesus is, number one, they realize and recognize everything they have is from God, and they're grateful for it. They're so verbally grateful every stinking day for just another day on earth, another day with their family. They're joyful. But then, followers of Jesus, the reason they don't let possessions on them is because they are generous with what God has given them. The only way you can break greed is by generosity. My son is six years old, and he is a greedy little joker. <laughs> Y'all laugh at you. Your little children are greedy too, right? And when I first introduced generosity to him and the God jar, he hated the God jar. No, I made this money. No. And the more I've taught him, the more he just wants to give and give and give the more he wants to meet needs. See, the only way you'll ever conquer possessions owning you and being greedy is learning to be generous to God's kingdom because he's been so generous to you. And that's what I want to do as a church too, guys. I want to always have so much left over to share with other churches and share with other ministries. And I'll, we're always seeing what can we do for something outside of this little castle right here, outside of this box. What can we do for other churches because I believe when you do that, you will always continually have more to share with others. Let's pray this morning. Father, help us to not chase the carrots of possessions and success in life. But Father, I pray that you would help us to follow you, to run after you. Help us, God, to see everything you've given us as a gift. And Lord, help us to be cheerfully responsible, responsive to your gifts by being generous, Lord. You've been so good to us. And I pray that materialism and being a slave to the lender and possessions and all those things will be broken in our life. And we could be an image of your great grace and your great love, Lord. I pray for that strength over every person in here, over every person watching online today that you would do that. And today as we're praying, church, in this sacred moment, this mode of prayer, maybe for you, the greatest gift you need to give is your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ, and you need to surrender to Christ today. Right where you're at, whether you're online, whether you're physically in this building, this is your moment. If you want to give your life to Christ today, make this confession of faith. Say this prayer after me. It's God. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that my good works cannot save me. But I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he died on the cross and that he rose again on the third day. I believe he is Lord. And today, God, I repent. I turn from my old life. I turn from my old ways of thinking. And I receive full forgiveness of sins. I receive your greatest gift ever, the gift of eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for doing this in my life today, God. In Jesus' name.